Sports World in Sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Love, peace, unity, harmony. What is happening? K Pasa, mi amigos. Me, I'm a Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World is Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste. Konnichiwa. Wassalamu alaikum. Shalom, my brothers and sisters all over the world. Wendell's World is Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss. Can't forget. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World is Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, as always, want to make sure that my folks who are listening on the East Coast, folks who are listening on the West Coast, folks who are listening in Australia, folks who are listening in Bangladesh, folks who are listening all over this globe, you're doing good, you're feeling all right, you're staying positive, you're doing what you need to do to make this world, to make your block, to make your community, to make your neighborhood a better place to be. Love, unity, understanding, listening, educating, respecting each and everyone with a brain in their head, common sense on their mind, let's see what we can do to move the society, to move this world in a better place to be for our children and their children and their children with love, peace, unity, understanding, respect for one another, listening, learning, educating. Let's see what we can do to uh, move that along. So in a hundred years from now, people will be taking a look at the society and saying, damn, they were really that dumb. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. We're going to be starting off with a little NBA action. Game one of the NBA Finals happened yesterday. The Milwaukee Bucks falling to the Phoenix Suns, 118 to 105. We'll go ahead and discuss that. Also want to get into a little uh, drama concerning Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor and ESPN and everything that's going to go down with that. Also, Want to get into the happenings with Shikari Richardson, the sprinter who has been left off of the USA Olympic team. Is a racism. AOC has been saying their stuff. Seth Rogen's been giving his two cents. Everybody is, all these other athletes are talking about. Just because she failed a marijuana test, that doesn't mean that she should be banned from the Olympics. This is terrible. This is horrible. This is wrong. Some people are even going to stretch to say that it's racist. Lord have mercy. So I'll be getting into that. Also, college football, 12-game playoffs is happening. I'm going to be giving my thoughts and opinions about that. Hopefully, that'll be happening sooner rather than later. And then I'm going to end the podcast with a little bit of high school basketball. The AAU tournaments out here in Vegas are going to be coming up every year. I try to go down to Bishop Gorman every year. I try to go down to the convention center every year. I try to hit a couple of places to uh, watch some really good AAU basketball to watch some really good basketball players, some really good talent. Been going to watch uh, AAU basketball ever since I went over to Foothill High School over in Henderson and watched a team that had, at the time, a going-to-be senior Kevin Love, Chase Budinger, Brandon Jennings, and the best player of them all who you've never heard of, Ronaldo Sidney. That was a really, man, that was a really good tournament. That was back in the days when Greg Oden was going to be in the 
going into his senior year in high school. You had L.J. Mayo. You had Bill Walker. You had uh, Mike Connolly. You had just awesome, awesome players. And uh, ever since then, man, I've always made it my objective to every summer go out there, go down the street, go down the highway, go down the byways, hit the gyms, and uh, take a look and watch some really good uh, high school basketball talent, as well as, you know, taking a look to see the talents that Georgetown is recruiting and seeing what I can do to uh, take a look at that. Not that I'm going to be reporting back to Patrick Ewing saying, yeah, man, we got this guy, go get him. But uh, I remember seeing Zion Williamson as a junior. He was going to be a junior. And this South Carolina AAU team was down there. John Morat was an afterthought. I don't even remember anything about him. But I remember Zion, even as a high school sophomore, that guy was bigger, stronger, faster, quicker, than um, everybody that was out there. Men, man versus boys. Had a chance to watch uh, Jalen Shrugs. Had a chance to watch Chet Holgram. So throughout the years, I've watched some really, really excellent basketball at the high school level. And because I'm such a huge fan of Georgetown, I want to see some of these players that are considering Georgetown and that Georgetown's going hard after. I want to be able to go ahead and see them in person to either get myself dancing on the streets like Martha and the Vandellas, dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie, or maybe taking a deep breath and saying, eh, maybe. So those are the things that are going to be happening. Those are the things I'm going to be discussing today. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I am your host, the man of the podcast, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us before. I get into some NBA action. Before I start talking about the NBA Finals between Phoenix and Milwaukee, I'm recording this just after my man Roger Federer, my f- favorite athlete for, I guess you could say, the past, what, 15, 16, 17 years. The great Roger Federer, special dedication to him. He lost in straight sets today at Wimbledon. So I know folks aren't really into tennis that much, but when it comes to Roger Federer, I always have to represent my favorite athlete by far. Like I said, I've been so for almost two decades. Um, to me, what does Roger Federer present as a human being and an athlete? I don't know Roger Federer, never met Roger Federer, don't hang out with Roger Federer, don't know the inside of Roger Federer in terms of his personal life, don't want to, that's his business, not mine. So his family and his wife and everything like that, that's his business, hands off with me, fine. But from the outside looking in, what I know of Roger Federer, what's being reported of Roger Federer, what the world, outside world is being shown of Roger Federer. That's what I'm going to go on to base my opinion about the man, Roger Federer, on the limited knowledge that I know of him. From the outside looking in, to me, what makes Roger Federer my favorite athlete and put him right up there with the Ali's and the Len Biases and the Magic Johnsons and the Kirby Puckets and the Warren Moons and the Yvonne Lendl's and all of those cats of the world who I grew up idolizing and revering and those type of things. Every player that went through Georgetown University, every player that went through uh, the Lefty Drizelle Maryland basketball squads of the early 80s and late 70s. What makes Roger Federer right up there near the top with the athletes that I revere the most is the fact that Roger Federer is the coolest, the classiest, the greatest, and the greatest ambassador in sports, regardless of what the sport is, that I have ever seen. Watching him just now give his press conference after losing his straight sets, losing the third set, 6-0, the class, the uh, humility, just the, just the way he conducts himself. I mean, if you're going to be speaking about role models, that's... You know, and I don't believe the old role model for kids bullshit and the athletes should be role models. I don't believe in that bullshit because we don't know what's behind the closed doors. 
I'm going to cross my fingers and I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a leap of chance of faith and say that Roger Federer, for any athlete that's coming up, that's the guy you want to emulate. I don't care if you're skating. I don't care if you're gymnastics. I don't care if you're playing lacrosse. I don't care if you're playing basketball, baseball, football. I don't care if you do it in Pee Week. I don't care if you do it in middle school. I don't care if you're a high school basketball player and that's it. I don't care if you're at a Division three college. I don't care if you're playing semi-pro. I don't care what level of sport that you're participating in, college, pro, peewee, minor league, adult league. I don't care what it is, and I don't care what the sport. The guy that you should want to emulate with class and swag and humility all mixed into one better than anybody who I've seen. Yes, that includes LeBron. Yes, that includes Lionel Messi. Yes, that includes Ronaldo. Yes, that includes Michael Phelps. Yes, that includes Usain Bolt. Yes, that includes Canelo Alvarez. Yes, that includes Floyd Mayweather. Yes, that includes Conor McGregor. Line them up. Name them all. Roger Federer is the man. Roger Federer is the beast. Roger Federer is the goat. And as I mentioned before, humility, class, intelligence, Swag, aura, everything about Fed, who at 39, going to be 40 in August. The fact that he made it to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, I'm not too upset because if he made it to the finals, we know Djokovic would have blown him off the, uh, blown him off the uh, grass courts the way that uh, the Joker's playing right now. But Federer, that's going to be my, that, that's my guy, man. Can't going to ride and die with Roger Federer. Been doing it now for. Over 15 years. The fact that in 2006, they named Dwayne Wade the Sportsman of the Year over Roger Federer was a joke. And I've always said this before, American bias. If Roger Federer was some guy from, I don't know, anywhere in this country, Roger Federer would be much more revered. Roger Federer would be having many more accolades. Roger Federer would have many more folks bowing down to him if he was a product of this country. But the fact that he's not... First of all, hey, man, do what you need to do. But, uh, yeah, even though we lost, I want to, uh, you know, pay homage, give special dedication to my guy, Roger Federer, the greatest athlete of uh, of them all for me. Again, regardless of sports. And I'm talking about every guy that's been through the Georgetown University program, coached under John Thompson, who all those players I revere. We're speaking about all my favorite athletes of all time. Right up there with Ali. Right up there with uh, Len Bias. The great Roger Federer. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, here we go. Game one, NBA Finals. Phoenix, Milwaukee. Phoenix wins game one, 118-105. Chris Paul, 32 points, nine assists in his NBA Finals debut. My man is on a mission. My man is talking about his comrades on the banana boat. Looks like Carmelo is going to be the only guy who's going to be on that boat without a ring. Dwayne has, what, three, four, something like that. Um, LeBron had four, and now the way CP3 uh, is playing, that man wants one of his own also. As I mentioned before, 32 points, nine assists, scored 16 of the 32 points in the third quarter during that stretch. He was 6-7 from the field, made all three three-pointers. That pick and roll were either Bobby Portis or Pat Connington or Glenn Forbes or Brooke Lopez. No matter who was switching off on him, Chris Paul was taking them to school. He remained cool because he was taking them fellas to school. How uh, dominant was Chris Paul? Age 36, in game one, scored or, assist, or assisted on 54 points. That's the third most points scored or assisted on in a player's 
final debut in the NBA. Only Allen Iverson from Georgetown University. You're damn right in 2001. And of course, MJ in 19, uh, who scored 60 points, had a bigger impact than Chris Paul in terms of points and assists. For Phoenix, Devin Booker pitched in with 27 points. DeAndre Ayton, who knew? <laughs> DeAndre Ayton, who knew? 20 po- 22 points, 19 rebounds, double-double. Ayton continues to play out of his mind. Second player in NBA history to record 20-plus points and 15-plus rebounds on 80% shooting in their NBA Finals debut. Yeah, he joins Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who scored 31, had 17, and shot 80% from the field in 1971. The great thing about DeAndre Ayton is he's not trying to get them points on his own. He's getting those points which are being manufactured for him at an easy rate. Offensive rebounds, shots at the rim, Booker, Ayton, excuse me, Booker, Chris Paul, Cameron Payne setting them up beautifully, but he's playing within himself and he's focusing mainly on rebounding defense, using his skills, using his athleticism on that end of the floor. And it's interesting because when Aiton was going into the draft, even back in high school, I remember people talking about the offensive prowess of DeAndre Aiton. They spoke about his offensive prowess mixed in with his athletic ability. And that was going to be his calling card once he got to the NBA, the guy from the center position who could score. But now it's like, no, no, no. And I guess Rudy Gobert is the blueprint to say, you don't need as a center to be Kareem or Wilt or David Robinson or Patrick Ewing or Moses Malone or any of these guys who need to put up, put up big offensive numbers. The game has changed. Now, low, low post scoring, for the most part, that's nice if you can do it. But if you can defend on the pick and roll, if you can guard guys on the perimeter, if you can be a defensive stalwart, if you can grab rebounds, if you can uh, set solid screens, you can get yourself a boatload of money. Rudy Gobert, who cannot manufacture any points, anytime, anywhere, halfway near the rim, just got himself a max contract. Why? Because of his defensive prowess, because of his ability to change the game through defense, through pick and roll, through intimidation at the rim. That got Rudy Gobert a max contract. Now, the Clippers with Terrence Mann and others exposed Gobert to a point in terms of he's not going to be that perimeter defender. But as far as perimeter defending is concerned, DeAndre Ayton, just like Tristan Thompson back in the day when he was playing with the Cavaliers, when LeBron and K-Love and Kyrie were on that team, it's invaluable. And you can make yourself bank if you're going to be able to uh, be able to have that skill. And as of right now, DeAndre Ayton, who's still a young cat, who's still growing, who's still growing into his game and into his body, he's not through in terms of maturing physically, I mean, we're taking a look at another, what, five to six to seven, eight, ten years now? As far as DeAndre Ayton, if he doesn't suffer any type of uh, injury or any multitude of injuries, a guy who's going to be able to be able to guard multiple positions, to be able to go out and guard folks relatively well on a pick and roll that's a guard, that's that's bank. That's money. So Ayton, who always thought that the way I was going to get some chicken was to go out and score 25, 28 points a game, Marty Williams and Chris Paul were like, no, we don't need a back-to-the-basket guy. No, we don't need a Patrick Ewing-type jump shooter. No, we don't need a Kevin McHale-type of low-post player. No, we, we don't need that. 
What we need is somebody who's going to rebound. What we're going to need is somebody who's going to set picks. What we're going to need is someone who's going to craft the offensive glass. What we're going to need is someone who's going to be able to finish at the rim when we get them in a position to finish at the rim. And we're going to need somebody that when they switch, it's not going to be an easy two or an easy three or an easy trip to the foul line. That's what we're going to need. And Monty Williams talked to him. Chris Paul talked to him. Devin Booker talked to him. Drake, uh, Jake Crowder talked to him. Until it finally set in to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I guess I will kind of play that game. And when he started having success and his mentals started catching up and all of a sudden he was spending time after practice working on this craft. And he came in early before practice to work on this craft. And he had self-reflection to say that, excuse me, he had self-reflection to say that, oh, okay, it's not them. It's me on why I'm not feeling like I'm reaching the level of play that I should be playing at at a consistent basis. Ernie Johnson... Phoenix Suns fans moaning, complaining. What the hell is going on? Why into that one game, DeAndre Ayton looks like a top five player in the game, and then the other game, he looks like he shouldn't even be in the NBA. Consistency, maturity, finally coming around. Now, is it because of the bright lights? Is it because of Chris Paul kicking them in the ass consistently? We don't know. How long is this going to last? Is this going to be something now? Has DeAndre Ayton turned the corner, shall we say, as far as... This is the type of basketball player he's going to be. Are we worried that once he gets that fat contract that he's going to go back to thinking that he needs to put points on the board and put balls in the basket and that type of thing and move away from some of the responsibilities and some of the strength that he had to earn that contract that he had? I don't know. But hell, as of right now, in Phoenix, Arizona, they don't really give a fuck. Let's just worry about getting three more victories and six more games and we'll be NBA champions. And the way that... um, DeAndre Ayton is playing, as I'm speaking about it now on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. The way that he's playing right now, big three. Big three for Phoenix. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Legit. Legit. Not just in this series, but for this season and for this stretch, legit. Big three. Big three, not saying that they're big three all time, but as far as today, who gives a fuck about Bird, Parrish, and McHale? Who gives a fuck about James, Kareem, and Magic? Who gives a damn about LeBron, C-Web, uh, LeBron Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade? We're t- speaking about right now. Who gives a damn about Manu, Tony Parker, and Tim Duncan? We're speaking about right now, legit, strong big three that the Phoenix Suns have right now. And they all play... The big three for the Milwaukee Bucks. When you think of the accomplishments of the Milwaukee Bucks, and you, as far as the three individuals I'm going to be mentioning, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Jeru Holiday, yeah, that's a pretty big, pretty nice big three. How about extra large three? How about XXL three for the Milwaukee Bucks? When you're speaking about Middleton and Jeru Holiday being named to the Olympic team, Holiday making his first NBA All-Star game, and Chris Middleton being a consistent All-Star, and Giannis, of course, being the two-time MVP. It's going to come down to that in the series. Which big three is going to play better? Booker might not have had a great shooting performance, 1 of 7, 1 of 8, somewhere around there from the three-point line, 8 of 21 from the uh, field. But when you take a look at Paul, Booker, and Ayton, Game one, they combined for 81 points on 28 of 50 shooting from the field, 25 rebounds, 15 assists, had a plus-minus 
of a plus 48. You compare that to the Milwaukee Bucks big three of Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. They combined for 59 points on 22 of 51 shooting, 6 of 18 from the three-point line, and were a minus 26 as far as plus negative is concerned. The starting five for Phoenix, in fact, were a plus 81 as far as plus minus, while the Bucks starting five were a negative 57 in terms of plus minus. I mean, shit, Jay Crowder, my man, if you take a look at the box, the box score, and you take a look at the offensive stats, you would have thought that this guy was an absolute waste of time. Why in the hell did he get 33 minutes when he's going 0 of 8 from the field and 1 of 5 and uh, 0 of 5 from the three-point line? He still had a plus minus of plus 19, and that wasn't running off the coattails of the big three either. His defense, his intensity, his um, the chemistry that he now has that he now has with the rest of the starters can afford, especially when Paul is playing as well as he did, as well as Aiton was playing in his role. That um, Jay Crowder can go 0 of 8 from the field and go 0 of 5 from the three point line, and for the most part, have the Phoenix Suns win pretty comfortably. Mikel Bridges played a good game. The injury to Dario Sarge, torn ACL. He's going to be out for not just this season, of course, but also what we're going to be doing as far as next season is concerned. We don't know, but concentrating only on the finals right now because that's the most important thing. Losing Dario Sarge, we don't know. We don't know as far as the rotation is going to be concerned. We don't know if Frank Kaminsky, who played four minutes in game one, is going to be able to get more minutes. What type of liability he's going to be, especially on the defensive end. How much can Paul and Booker make up for that? But um, for the most part, Phoenix looked like the better team. Milwaukee looked a little slow. We don't know what remnants of Game 6 were still there with the uh, Bucks, But still, it was a situation where even with Giannis coming back, I thought they should have shown a little bit more passion, fire, and desire, especially in the first half. Middleton, who had a good game, by the way, overall, but for the first half was slow getting started. Uh, really kept Milwaukee in the ball game in the third quarter when Paul went crazy and the lead for Phoenix went up to 20. Middleton hitting a really couple of uh, really contested three-point shots was the uh, key, were the foundation for Milwaukee starting to make their run and make the game just a tad bit interesting near the uh, fourth quarter, into the fourth quarter, and uh, deep into the fourth quarter before finally Phoenix, one more stretch, one more rally, one more... Uh, push, put the game out of reach for the Bucks to get into and win. But um, yeah, moving into uh, game two, the main thing with Milwaukee, as far as the question is going to be for them and Mike Bootenholder is, how are they going to defend the pick and roll with Booker and Paul? Th- that's going to be the main thing. And I'm going to speak about it here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Milwaukee was getting absolutely torched on pick-and-roll action, destroyed. Brooke Lopez, who, I don't know, I'm mean, i I'm not a coach. I'm definitely not as good as Budenholder. I'm not going, I don't know this team. I don't, da, 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 so I said all what I needed to say on that. But isn't there any way that you could use Lopez just a little bit more in the low post? Now, I know with Aiton, maybe he's going to, veer off to the three-point lane a little bit more. But, man, you know, if Lopez is going to get toasted and roasted, um, pick and rolls when he's being switched out to Paul and Booker, I mean, couldn't we somehow 
make it a little bit harder for Phoenix to completely take advantage of him by having him go into the low post. Maybe he can get uh, eight in action, and maybe he can get eight in foul trouble with the loss of Sarge. That means that's going to put a lot of strain on the Phoenix bench and take away uh, one of their strengths if Aiton's going to be in foul trouble. I, I, isn't there something? But Brooke Lopez was just getting taken to school. It was taken out with about five minutes left to go in the third quarter and never returned. Phoenix was a 126 points per 100 possession with him on the court. You can't win a basketball game that way. But I'm not going to sit here and put the spotlight on, on Lopez in terms of the winner of the, man, you got embarrassed on national television by Chris Paul and David Booker award. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's an award that's going to be shared not only with Lopez, but also with Bobby Portis who couldn't t- contain any type of the action. But, you know, there was nobody for Milwaukee, guards or forwards, who were uh, able to uh, keep Chris Paul and Devin Booker for, from getting to where they wanted to get to. And a lot of those shots that Booker missed were wide-open looks, were good looks. So what's going to be happening? Is Devin Booker in Game 2 going to go 8-for-21 again? Can Chris Paul continue to play this well? Because even if he doesn't, you're going to be expecting Devin Booker to have a better shooting night, right? And the stuff that's happening with DeAndre Ayton in terms of 22-19, because they're not calling any plays for DeAndre Ayton, because the offense is not flowing through DeAndre Ayton, and because rebounds are nothing more than position, effort, and desire, you can expect Ayton, as far as rebounding is concerned, if he continues with the intensity and the focus, the detail, and his focus on his responsibility, that he's going to get 10-plus or more rebounds. The way Chris Paul is setting things up, especially, again, depending upon what Milwaukee does on the pick-and-roll, you expect for Ayton to get him into double figures. So if you're counting for Chris Paul to be solid, Devin Booker to improve, and DeAndre Ayton to maintain what he has, is Jay Crowder going to go 0 for 8 again? If you're Milwaukee, what are you going to be doing about that? If you're Milwaukee, how are you going to be combating that? If you're Milwaukee, what exactly are you going to be doing? I Is it a situation now where we're going to have to see Giannis play more minutes at the center position? Are we going to be talking about, as far as you know, the Bucks are concerned, maybe moving small and not rely so much on Portis and... Brooke Lopez, is this going to be a situation where just like in the Brooklyn Nets uh, series that Bobby Portis is going to be the odd man out and they're just going to go with Brooke Lopez for as long as they can and then switch and have Giannis play the five position and maybe go small with uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, um, Giannis, Pat Covington, and I don't, I don't know who else you put in there. But is that's going to be if, if, is that going to be the situation? I must say, special dedication to miraculous to a miraculous effort by Giannis. Adena Kupo, man, played thirty five minutes, twenty points, seventeen rebounds, four assists, two steals, had a massive Le- LeBron James type block, and not hadn't played since leading since landing awkwardly in Game Four of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Atlanta Hawks, an injury that we thought would sideline him not just for the rest of the playoffs, but the entire next season played well for the uh, position that he was in. He didn't look like vintage Giannis, but after getting that injury, after, you know, suffering that injury to come back as quickly as he did, he's only going to get better, right? 
I mean, this was a guy who had missed uh, not considerable amount of time, but when you're speaking about playoff basketball, the amount of time that's condensed into um, this postseason, the fact that he didn't miss two games and he hadn't played in a while, you could see him huffing and puffing and breathing without blowing a house down uh, during the game. His conditioning, his game conditioning is going to get better as we go along. So with that in mind, if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, you have to uh, feel uh, positive about that. Chris Middleton led all Bucks scores with 29 points on 12 of 26 shooting. Again, he was the guy that kind of pulled Milwaukee out of the abyss of getting routed early near the end of the third quarter. Once that lead got to somewhere around 20 for the Suns, he was a, he, a Middleton was the one again who hit some contested three-point shots off of some one-on-one action, mainly from the left side of the floor to uh, get Milwaukee to start their run. But uh, Jeru Holiday was the one where you were looking at going, come on, man, what the fuck are you doing? At least offensively. Rough first game of an NBA appearance for Mr. Holiday in 40 minutes. Went 4 for 14 from the field, 0 of 4 from the three-point line for 10 points. His field goal percentage from the three-point line has been awful over the last couple of games. So we're going to need a little bit more for Drew Holiday. And my thing is, again, we saw in game five and six, well, excuse me, in game six when Trey Young came back, blood in the water that that, um, Holiday was using his physicality with Trey Young and not settling for three-point shots and not settling for contested outside jumpers. He was using his... He was using his athleticism and his size advantage to uh, take advantage of Trey Young guarding him. If Chris Paul is going to be doing what he's going to be doing, you can have him rest a lot on defense. If you're Drew Holiday, you're going to have to make whoever's going to be guarding you, whether that's going to be Booker or whether that's going to be Chris Paul, he's going to have to feel you. Now, the size of Devin Booker is going to allow, uh, is going to uh, not be as difficult to deal with when going up against Drew Holiday, but Holiday is a guy who's a very good athlete. He's very strong. He's he's very physical when he needs to be, as far as the guard is concerned. If you're Chris, if you're um, Drew Holiday, and you got Chris Paul on you, I say, hey man, you know, use some physicality. Take him to the hole, throw an elbow or two, something like that. Get physical on him. You know what? I, go ahead and do that. But in terms of the three point shooting is concerned, Holiday can be judicious. We don't want him not passing up. We don't want him not taking three-point sh- uh, shots at all. But if I were him, I would concentrate, again, getting inside the paint, getting to the middle, getting to the hoop, and see what they can do to see they can put the pressure on not only the man that would be guarding him, whether that would be Devin Booker or Chris Paul, but also seeing what they can do to uh, get DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble. On that pick and roll. With the Bucks, it wasn't so much the fact that, yeah, there was a couple of times, mainly with Portis, but there was a couple of times, even with Holiday, it wasn't the fact that, you know, this wasn't, you know, them taking advantage of DeMarcus Cousins in the round before where DeMarcus just couldn't couldn't move, but Brooke couldn't stay in front of him. And, yeah, seven feet tall, still didn't uh, stop Chris Paul from taking step-back elbow-extended jumpers. Uh, the herky-jerky stop-and-go moves of Devin Booker were, were beautiful to watch, which in turn got the entire Milwaukee defense off balance. So even when the Bucks switched 
and they had Lopez or somebody, Bobby Portis or somebody on one of the guards for Phoenix. It was a matter of the Phoenix Suns penetrating, getting into the paint, the guards breaking down the defense, which led, which led to wide open shots from great Jay Crowder, which I'm going to go on the assumption that he's going to be hitting in game two, which set up Miles Bridges, which set up Cam Johnson, you know, campaign, a water bug type of a player that he hit, that he is, had a very good offensive game. He got into the lane. He hit a couple of nice three-point shots. So just that entire defense for Milwaukee needs to get better and the adjustments need to get better. But the, the series is far from over. I'm not saying this is going to be a, a sweep for Phoenix. I think Milwaukee has some things that they can use in terms of getting better. I think Chris Middleton has a, a monster game in him. I think Jeru Holiday has a bounce back game in him. I think Giannis is only going to get better and improve as he gets back into better position, better conditioning. Um, I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are still here to stay. Even, you know, as far as game two, I think that um, game two, Phoenix is going to uh, win this game. But then going back to Milwaukee, where they have a very nice home crowd, I think we're going to be taking a look at a whole different ballgame in terms of, you know, two old people are going to be talking about sweep, regardless of what the score is going to be. I don't give a damn if Phoenix comes out there and blows them out. I think this is going to be a six or seven game series. And I think it's going to be a situation where both teams are going to be extremely strong on their home court. Phoenix has been playing well on the road. But still, I think that the Bucks, even if they lose game two, the urgency that they'll face down 2-0, the urgency that that crowd is going to face, their home crowd is going to be realizing for them down 2-0. That place is going to be a madhouse. Either way that you look at it, it's going to be the, the, the Pfizer Center in Milwaukee is going to be going nuts. Either because the series is going to be tied 1-1 and we have a chance to take command of the series or take a 2-1 series lead. So here we go, here we go, yay, yay, yay. Or, oh my goodness, if we lose this game, basically this series is over. So we need the Bucks to win so we can cut back into this lead instead of going down 3-0. We can cut it to being only a 2-1 deficit. So Bucks fans, yay, 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 and a yay, yay, yay. Let's go ahead and uh, cheer those guys on. But... Uh, Mentioned before, this series is far from over. But Chris Paul, awesome game one, historic game one, magical game one, impressive game one. DeAndre Ayton stamping his new his new comings as far as the basketball player is concerned. And the Bucks, well, they didn't have some work to do. But as I mentioned before, this series is long for from being over. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. 
so glad that you could be with us. An amazing, what's today? Wednesday? Yeah, an amazing Wednesday afternoon here in Las Vegas, Nevada, where the temperature is currently somewhere around 112 flipping degrees. Global warning. Nah, there's no such thing as global warning. What are we talking about? Man, what are you talking about? It's funny. Just go ahead for the climate change deniers. Just go ahead and say it. Who cares if we're destroying the planet? By the time the shit comes in terms of the bill that needs to be paid, in terms of us fucking up this planet, we'll be dead. Right? I mean, who cares, right? Who cares if we're ruining the planet? By the time the shit hits the fan... We'll be dead, your children will be dead, and probably your grandchildren will be dead. So why do you care? Let's just keep living the way that we're living. Goodness gracious. But it's 112 degrees out here. It's going to be getting to 115. I remember in June, boy, was June just a slow, slow month. It was like every day, it was like 108, 110, 112. But then again, people say, well, stupid, that's what happens when you live in a flipping desert. Even though you can have the folks in Portland, you can have the folks in Seattle and other parts of the country where the temperature is outrageous in terms of the highs, in terms of the abnormal highs. But that has nothing to do with climate change. Nothing to do at all. Just the way it is. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Thank you, Ms. Franklin. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. You see this drama between ESPN, Rachel Nichols, and the absolutely beautiful Maria Taylor? All this drama that's happening now I just want to say right off the bat that I'm a big fan of Rachel Nichols I always had been a big fan of Rachel Nichols even before she came back to work at ESPN I thought she was awesome she worked at CNN when I first kind of got real wind and you know started really paying attention to her but uh, so I at least up until now really enjoyed uh, Rachel Nichols I think that uh, I still think that she's a very talented and uh, very good uh, you know, she, she has a good skill set and she's very talented for what she does. Same thing I think with uh, Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor is a very talented uh, person and uh, she does a great job of whatever she does. Taking it from a sexist point of view, though, I mean, she, she's, her smile is just, her smile is just unreal. Her smile, her smile could give life to a corpse. It's like, man, if I'm ever like dying and I'm like a couple of breaths away from being reunited with my dad and and, and, and up in heaven or wherever I'm, wherever I'm going. And you want me to stay on this planet or you want me to stay a little bit longer living? Show me a picture of Maria Taylor smiling. Show me a picture of a smile that had Maria Taylor or Malika Andrews on it. And uh, I don't know if that would save me, but that might be the best and only option that you would get. Because those are two absolutely pretty ladies, and they're very good at what they're doing. They're very talented at what they're doing. And uh, it's not a matter of, you know, just because they are attractive young ladies that this is the reason why they got the jobs, they got the positions, they got the opportunities that they did. Just like Rachel Nichols, who I've always admired and thought that she was a very attractive young lady, still very attractive moving on to her <clears throat> mature years. I, very... Uh, attractive, beautiful ladies, but that's not the reason why they got in the position that they did. They can look like me as far as females are concerned, and they would still be just as successful. The fact that they're attractive is just the icing on the cake. Well, ESPN replaced Rachel Nichols with Malika Andrews as the sideline reporter for the NBA Finals. Nichols, as of right now, even though I don't think she did it today, will be continuing to host her daily NBA show called 
the jump. Um, so exactly what got Nichols into the situation, what I think is going to be happening. I don't know if you followed the story. I'll get into more detail and in depth after I make this comment in terms of, I, I think it's untenable in terms of Rachel Nichols staying at ESPN. I, I think when everything is all said and done here, I think that the uh, relationship, the working relationship between Rachel Nichols and ESPN is going to have to come to an end, which is a shame, but is also, I think, something that needs to be done. And it's all uh, Rachel Nichols doing. Well, I'm speaking about and what what got uh, Miss Nichols into the situation. Nichols into the situation is a video recording from last year. Apparently, uh, Rachel didn't know how to use the uh, uh, she didn't know how to use the equipment properly or whatever. But she was recording herself without her knowledge, and she was speaking to Adam Mendelson, who's a longtime LeBron James advisor. And uh, she was speaking about, uh, you know, uh, they were coming to her, ESPN came to her and said, hey, you know what, you need to do cyberline reporting and you're not going to be doing the uh, pre-show for the NBA Finals because we're going to be giving that to Maria Taylor. What do you think about that? And basically Rachel Nichols was venting to Mendelssohn and through her venting she was talking about, well, you know, she was, she didn't say it like verbatim, but she was insinuating that the only reason why uh, Maria Taylor got the job because she was black, and then Nichols brought up the fact of ESPN's crappy history when it comes to when it comes to uh, racial diversity and all those type of things. Saying that you know, being a woman there, you know, I can speak firsthand about how you know crappy that it is. But uh, so she was insinuating that the only reason why that she was being taken off the um, as the host for the pre and post game shows for the NBA Finals coverage. And giving it to Maria Taylor, Taylor was because she was black, and you know, she felt that ESPN was talking about, "Hey, what are you talking about? There's no problems here racially." Guess we have that the host for the pre and post game show, along with Jalen Rose and Jay Jay Williams, who last time I checked were black. So what are y'all talking about? So she was uh, caught saying those type of things. So the phone call was from May of 2020 when they were in the bubble. Nichols. Uh, went down to Orlando uh, for the resumption of the NBA. And while she was quarantined and stuff, she had some time to vent and she had some time to mull things over. I mean, she was caught saying those things, again, of her own volition. I mean, she was the one that didn't know how to turn on the equipment. There was nobody peeping, toming her. This isn't an Aaron Andrews situation. Nobody bugged her room, none of this type of stuff. So, again, the full call... She was complaining about Taylor being selected to host the ESPN's NBA Finals coverage. Again, insinuating the decision was made not on merit, but because of the network's feeling about its crappy long-time record on diversity. Um, here you go. So she had a camera to film her segment from a hotel room in compliance with COVID-19 safety measures. Unwittingly recorded herself. The footage went directly to ESPN headquarters in Connecticut. It got a hold of uh, someone who was black, who was working, gave it to Maria Taylor. And it was kind of like, you know, that type of thing. So here's some of the audio of what was said about, you know, Rachel Nichols, her own words, uh, Rachel Nichols' comments about being replaced as the pre and post game host for the NBA Finals. To me, hey, instead of hosting the NBA Finals, like, what do you do? Where's the sound recorded off the NBA Finals? Because guess what that would clearly wait for? 
Well, there you have it. I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy long-time recovery a record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female, female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You're not going to find it from me or taking my thing away. Audio was leaked. It led to employee outrage around the company. Uh, the only person known to be punished, and here's where the outrage really came. The only person to be known to have been punished was Kayla Johnson, a digital video producer who told ESPN Human Resources that she had sent the video to Taylor. That's where it was kind of like, oh shit. Johnson, who is black, surprise, surprise, was suspended for two weeks without pay and later was given less desirable tasks at work before she uh, resigned and went somewhere else. So the only person who was admonished for this was a person of color, surprise, surprise, and was then relegated to less desirable tasks with the hope that she can quit her job without getting any type of unemployment. Surprise, surprise. Wow. Never happens to us, huh? Unbelievable. So, you know, uh, uh, Nichols apologized at the beginning of the show. In fact, here's the audio of her apologizing for her on the jump the other day. Um, this is what she said. Thing they teach you in journalism school is don't be the story. And I don't plan to break that rule today or distract from a fantastic finals. But I also don't want to let this moment pass without saying how much I respect, how much I value our colleagues here at ESPN, how deeply, deeply sorry I am for disappointing those I hurt, particularly Maria Taylor, and how grateful I am to be part of this outstanding team. The first thing they teach in journalism school is don't be the story. I also don't want to let this moment pass without saying how much I respect, how much I value our colleagues, colleagues here at ESPN, how deeply, deeply sorry I am for disappointing those I hurt, particularly Maria Taylor, and how grateful I am to be part of this outstanding team. Whatever, what, what, what was she going to say, man? <laughs> I mean, you know, no win situation. If she don't say anything, then, you know, she's an asshole. And if you're a huge fan of Maria Taylor and don't like Rachel Nichols, what what is she going to say that's going to convince you what she said was sincere? I don't know if she meant it. I don't know how much of it was, I'm just trying to save my ass here. I don't know how deeply, deeply hurt she was that Maria Taylor no longer likes her. I don't know. I have no idea. No idea. But uh, draw your own conclusions at that one. Well, um, despite the fact that, you know, I'm very sorry, this, that, and the other, Maria Taylor was having none of that. And uh, she refused to work with her. That's her right. Don't blame her. You're going to be talking shit about me behind my back like that? There's someone in the business. You're going to be doing that type of bullshit? 
talking about the only reason why I got the job was because of the color of my skin. Fuck you. Nah, man, I don't give a fuck. Uh-uh, uh-uh. If you were a friend of mine, I would confront you and be like, really? That's what you're thinking, huh? That's what you're doing behind my back, huh? Okay, well, isn't that something? Isn't that interesting? All right, talk to me. Explain to me. Make me understand, because right now, I'm just not understanding where you're coming from with that. I didn't know that, uh, you know, you were going to be like that. You never said that to me. So you never said that to me. Now you're going to go behind my back, or now you that's what your thoughts and feelings are about me when... We're not speaking. I mean, we were friends. We did this. We did that. I thought that, uh, you know, we had an understanding. I thought that we had a relationship to where if you really thought that the reason why I took your job was because of the color of my skin, go ahead and tell me. At least go ahead and tell me that. Tell me what you're thinking. Shit, you know, if the roles were reversed, Lord knows I tell you. Shoot, if I lost a job because um, you were white, Lord knows I would be like, you know what? The reason why I think you got this job is because you're white. Bingo bongo. I don't give a damn. At least I got it out in the open, right? Ask anybody who knows me. I have no fucking filter. I'll tell you what's on my mind. I've gained friends, lost friends, loyalty, this, that, and the other. But no one ever has to uh, think about, wonder about what's on Wendell Wallace's mind. All you need to do is ask me. I'll tell you. And most of the time, no matter how much hot water I get into or how inappropriate or, wow, you're really going to say that? How much I get in trouble with my mouth? At least you know where I stand. Anything I say behind your back, I'll say right in front of your face. For the most part, 95% of the time. So, you know, if Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols, I don't know what the relationship is. But, you know, if it was something where it was I was in that position, and if I didn't know her, being the person I was working with was just on a working relationship terms, I would have the same attitude as uh, evidently Maria Taylor has with Rachel Nichols. No, I ain't working with her. Get her, get her the fuck out of my face. Don't want to deal with her. Don't want to talk to her. Don't want to accept her apology. None of that kind of stuff. No. So, with all of this swirling around, with all of this going forward, because folks are like, man, she's going to be going ahead and saying this, making these accusations, and nothing's going to happen to her. She's not going to get suspended. She's not. There's no repercussions, nothing, for making an accusation like this, speaking about this, I mean, let's just forget the fact of what, of what she said, you know, talking about, hey, you know what, the only reason why that Maria Taylor got this job and took this job away from me was because of, because of the color of her skin. Let, let's, let's even forget that for a quick second. Here is Rachel Nichols, an employee at ESPN, bad-mouthing her, employee, her employer to a, someone where I think ESPN would like to have some type of relationship with. So ESPN wants to have a relationship with this guy, uh, Mendelssohn, who is the conduit to getting LeBron James, one of the most, if not the most uh, notable athlete on the planet. You know, that's the conduit to having LeBron James go on the ESPN shows and do the interviews and all those type of things. And here we have an employee talking about bad-mouthing the the company in terms of something that deals with... uh, Deals with race. Not good. Not smart. So if ESPN wanted to fire her, I mean, there's a couple of avenues they could go down. They could go down for her comments insinuating that they gave the job to uh, Maria Taylor because she's black. So based, based on that, just based on that ignorant statement, that could be something that's terminable. Or bad-mouthing, an empl- bad-mouthing your employer to uh, someone that ESPN needs to have a relationship with. That's also a terminal, that was, that's also a, a fireable offense. So, I mean, there's, if, I, I don't know, again, how Rachel Nichols, 
didn't receive any type of discipline, didn't receive any. I mean, this was, this is a, this is a, a company, ESPN, who I'm sorry, didn't they suspend Tony Kornheiser a week or two from PTI years ago because she made some comment about uh, Hannah Storm's wardrobe or her boots or some nonsense like this? The hell that ESPN put Michael Smith and Jamel Hill through? All of these instances, all of these examples of talent being suspended, being disciplined for the stuff that they say and the stuff that they do, and mainly being on the minority side of things. Here's Rachel Nichols saying something like this to someone that ESPN needs to have a relationship with, bad-mouthing not just Maria Taylor with racist overtones, but also bad-mouthing the uh, company that she works for, the uh, the people that she works for, and nothing is going to happen to her? Nothing? What in the name of Jamel Hill and... and um, Michael Smith is going on here with that bullshit, with that nonsense. So because of all that, hey man, there was about it was about to get really nasty in terms of uh, the ESPN NBA countdown crew. This past May, at the playoffs were about to get underway. Hey man, the uh, the, the fellas at ESPN, the the, uh, the NBA countdown show, uh, they were like, hey man, if 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 uh, you know something isn't done. We're going to uh, we're going to boycott. In fact, the story was the production management told the countdown crew that if Taylor still refused to interact with Nichols, then no other sideline reporters, including three black women, would appear live with them. So Jalen Rose and Jay Williams and Adrian Wojnarowski were like, "Really? Well, if you're going to be throwing that bullshit on us, guess who ain't going to be doing the show today? Go ahead and get Richard Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins and see if you can convince those guys." to go ahead and take our place because we damn sure ain't going to be on the air if you're going to be throwing that bullshit with us. So, you know, Wojnarowski reportedly called Nichols a bad teammate. So after multiple calls between Jimmy uh, Pataro, who was the president, who is the president of ESPN, and the uh, fellows on the show, the restrictions were rescinded. So in that case, Rose Williams or Wojnarowski won that battle. But I mean, you know, what kind of bullshit is that, man? You're going to go ahead and say this woman is not going to be disciplined at all. And the person that she badmouthed, we're going to have to interact. She's going to have to interact with her. No, man, that's some bullshit right there. And the fact that if she doesn't, that all of a sudden now Malika Andrews and Lisa Salters and other women of color who are sideline reporters are not going to have that same opportunity because of the bullshit that Rachel Nichols did. Nah, man, you can kiss my black ass on that one. As I mentioned before, y'all can go ahead, bring, you know, go get Tim Legler from Philadelphia and bring him on down here. I don't know. Go ahead and get, go ahead and get Kendrick Perkins. Go ahead and get, I don't know, go get go Beaumont Jones. Get somebody else. I don't give a fuck who he is. White, black, male, female. Good. Go ahead. Do what you need to do. But three folks who won't be showing on this panel it won't be me, Jay Will, or Woj. That's for damn sure. So do what you need to do. You got Stephen A. on uh, speed dial. Get that motherfucker called. See if he wants to come in here. So they were like, "Whoa, okay, all right, all right. We 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 give up. We uh we'll acquiesce." So the whole thing is surrounded by Taylor's contract, which is uh, set to expire this upcoming month. And now there's reports saying that it's increasingly it's increasingly unlikely that uh, she's going to resign with the network. And this is a part of it. So, look, I'm one thing I don't want to say, because Maria Taylor, I mean, there was some other bullshit that uh, she had to go through where I forgot 
who it was. I don't know if it was a media guy or a writer or something like that. They made a really stupid, ignorant uh, remark about her, and um, that opened up a lot of shit. Something about her hosting skills or something, something like that, and it... You know, again, you know, when, when a black person isn't any good at their job, it's got to be, well, she just got the job or he just got the job because of the color of their skin. Very interesting how white folks kind of like to use that nonsense. White folks who get every privilege and every opportunity that they can, when all of a sudden they feel that they're slighted, is, oh, it's because the black guy is black. Oh, or the black person is black. Or the gay person is gay. Or the Hispanic person is Hispanic. It's not because I suck and they're better. No, it has to be. White folks are, a lot of white folks are so used to their privilege that when they don't get something that they want, it's got to be because of quotas or affirmative action or all that bullshit. It can't just be because this person's better than me. That's one of the great things about sports. LeBron James is the biggest guy, is the best show in town he had been for the last 8, 10 years. It had nothing to do with him being black. LeBron James ain't the best basketball player in the world because he's black. He's the best basketball player in the world because he's damn fucking good and there's no one coming around the bend to uh, take that title away from him for the last few years of course you know you've got Jokic and everything coming through but for the most part for this era of basketball for his generation of basketball LeBron James has been the best basketball player not because of the color of his skin but because of his skills so it's amazing to me that's why I love sports so much because you can't put any of that bullshit that white folks sometimes like to throw on you when black folks are the best at something. Well, it's just because that he's black. Yeah, you know how it is. This, that, and the other. Instead, they'll say, well, because no white folks play basketball. That's the reason why LeBron James just happens to be the best basketball player. Whatever. I really, really try not to get into the minds of ignorant, racist fools that uh, populate and permeate this world that we live in. But, you know, when you know, Rachel Nichols talking about, well, they took the show away from me. It's mine. This, that, and the other. I think for her, it's coming from ego. I don't know if it's uh, so much. I, I think what she said in terms of Maria Taylor being black, I think that goes with it. But I also think as far as the privilege is concerned, not only with Rachel Nichols being white, but also because she's had this status, she's had this experience, and she just feels that she's better at her job than Maria Taylor. The fact that she happens to be black, she threw that in there. Do I think that uh, Rachel Nichols is a stark, raving racist? No. Do I think that Rachel Nichols hates black people? No. Do I think that Rachel Nichols feels that white people are superior over black people? No. I don't, don't, don't think that at all. Don't think that at all. But uh, the fact that she said what she said and didn't face any type of repercussions, it just goes to show the double standard that uh, happens in a lot of situations. That black folks can speak to time and time and time and time and time and time again when they are working at their place of, of employment, especially when it is populated mostly by, by white folks. So we, we, will, we will see what happens. The one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about with this whole, whole deal with Maria Taylor, I'm kind of conflicted about this, and I'm conflicted here on uh, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. The one thing that I'm conflicted about is, look, Rachel Nichols talks some shit. I'm speaking to Maria Taylor here. Rachel Nichols talks some shit about you. She talks some racist, privileged shit about you. Don't, don't become the victim. Don't become the martyr. Black folks know, especially when we're in a place where it's predominantly white. Black folks know this time and time again. You know that when we get a promotion, 
when we get an advancement, when we get a raise, when we get something that white folks want, you know white folks, not all, not all, not all, not all, not all. But you know there's going to be some white folks in there who are going to go on the perception that the only reason why this black man, this black woman, this Hispanic man, this Hispanic woman, this gay man, this lesbian, this Asian man, this Asian woman, this 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 fat person, this person with a disability or whatever, it's it's all because of some type of uh quota. Or it's just because of the affliction or 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 it's because of their gender or gender or it's because of their race. We 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 know that's gonna be happening. We know that. Women, you know that. Women who are in charge of people, women who are supervisors, women who are managers, women who manage and supervise men, they will tell you that, yes, I'm quite sure that there are plenty of people who I work with. There's plenty, plenty of people who I employ who are butthurt or are under the assumption that the only reason why I got to this position because A, I'm a woman, or B, I had to sleep with somebody to uh, get to this position. We, we know that. The only reason why this person who's in charge, that's gay, the only reason why he got there is because he is gay or something like that. So we, so this is not something that's new. This is not something that's like out of left field. And black folks, we know, and a lot of times, more times than not, a decent amount of times that when we get passed up for a job opportunity, you know that black folks go to other black folks who are working there and we all discuss what we need to discuss in terms of why this white person got the job. And we know that race plays a role in that. So, look, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying what Rachel Nichols said was kosher. I'm not saying that Rachel Nichols should not have been admonished, punished for what she said. But in terms of what she said, you know, take out Rachel Nichols and put in someone else and put in someone else and have her, have her or him have the same conversation. It, it happens. It happens. It happens. So what I don't want Maria Taylor to become is a martyr. I'm like, all right, Maria, Rachel Nichols didn't shoot your mother. She didn't come after you with any type of physical harm. What she did was wrong. What she did was wrong. And you have every right not to, uh, not to speak to her. You have every right not to work with her. But I don't want any like undue drama over something that's like, look, what happened to you sucks. What happened to you is wrong. But it happens to everybody. It happens to whoever, unless you're a white male, it happens to everybody. If you're Hispanic and you work, especially at, once again, in a place where the predominant, uh, the, uh, predominant, predominant employment is white males, you know that this shit goes on all the time. So kind of, kind of torn about this because look, you know, I don't know. I, what was I going to say? I, I'm trying to, trying to think of being delicate as I can. Sometimes I hate when white folks say something stupid or racist and they, you know, they come to the, you know, they, they found religion in terms of, oh shit, what I said was racist or, oh shit, what I said, oh, that's racist shit I said, I, I was caught saying it. So now they have to acquiesce. Now they have to kowtow. Now they have to, uh, you know, save their ass, save their reputation, save their job, save their financial uh, ability to earn and all those type of things. So they come out with the, I'm sorry, didn't mean to say that. I apologize. 
I really do like you. I really do care about you. I'm deeply hurt about what I said. I hope it didn't hurt your feelings. I hope it didn't cause you any pain. Please forgive me. I learned my lesson. You know, the same bullshit nonsense that we all go through when we fuck up, right? No, no matter what race or creed or color you are, you know, when we fuck up or, you know, we have to save our ass because we said something dumb or we said something chauvinistic or we said something, uh, you know, racist or anything like that. We have to come out with a, oops, I'm sorry. No, I really don't feel that way about them folks. Um, you know, just the heat of the moment. It was a bad mistake. Having a bad day. Take responsibilities. Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Didn't mean to cause you any harm. Didn't mean to give you any drama. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I respect you so much. Please forgive me, right? So when white folks do that with black folks, when they say something racist or they say something stupid, it's always like, why do black folks always have to be the one to automatically say, okay, no problem, moving on. Don't want to cause any waves. Don't want to cause any drama. Don't want to make this as worse as it already is. No problem. I accept. Why do we have to do that? Why are we always the one that have to kowtow? Why can't we say, no, nah, man, fuck you? No, nah, no. Nah, I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck. Go fuck yourself. Well, you know, I really caused a lot of pain. You did, so go fuck yourself. Your apology is not accepted. Go jump off the fucking Golden Gate Bridge. Bye. I mean, why can't, why can't we have that attitude? I'm not saying we should have that attitude, but why can't we have that attitude? Why all of a sudden now then we become the bad people? Wow, I mean, gee, you can't even set your apology? How small are you? How vindictive are you? Oh my goodness, this is terrible, horrible. Why, why do we have to go through that nonsense? Why do, why do we have to go through that bullshit? You know, I remember when Fuzzy Zeller was the, the golfer and he made some comment about Tiger Woods what they serve, like the winners of the Masters uh, get to choose a meal or some shit like that for the club members or some nonsense. And Fuzzy Zeller was like, yeah, good. Make sure that uh, Tiger Woods doesn't have them serve fried chicken and watermelon, okay? Okay, that was ignorant. That was racist. That was stupid and everything like that. And of course, you know, Fuzzy Zeller being an old man is like, oops, yeah, that was racist. Sorry, man. This ain't 1962. Augusta, Georgia. So, you know, he got up there and he was like, hey, look, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. And uh, if I hurt Tiger Woods in any way, shape or form, if I caused him undue drama, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Tiger Woods took a couple of days before he finally said, all right, man, whatever, moving on. But I remember watching Around the Horn and Bill Plasky, the uh, columnist for the L.A. Times, was sitting up there talking about, hey, you know what? It's been a couple of days. I mean, why doesn't Tiger Woods just come out and forgive him? You know, I mean, poor Fuzzy, he's been out there and he's been, you know, twisting in the wind for a while. And he said this is an apology and he seemed like he mean, meant it. So, you know, why doesn't Tiger Woods just go ahead and give the man a solid and help him out and say that he's sorry? Because he, maybe he doesn't fucking want to. I mean, damn, Bill, really? Well, maybe he just says, fuck you. I don't like Fuzzy Zeller. Fuck Fuzzy Zeller. And I want him to twist in the wind a little bit more. And this has an opportunity to ruin his career and his life. Good. Fuck him. He made his bed. Now he sleeps in it. You know what I'm saying? It's okay to hold a grudge, depending upon some things. You know? So it's okay to be petty sometimes, depending upon some things. So on one hand, it's like, yeah, you know what? Look, you know, again, what Rachel Nichols said, privileged. Racist, ignorant, ridiculous. I don't know if she was having a bad day. I don't know what she was venting. And when we have bad days and we vent, I say a lot of stupid things too that if it was caught on camera or if someone recorded me saying it, I'd be like, oops. <laughs> I, uh, I fucked up big time. But, um, you know, it, what she said, all of those things. 
And the fact that she didn't uh, get uh, punished for what she said maybe added to some of the animosity that Taylor has toward Rachel Nichols. But, you know, let's let's not, again, make this make this into too much of a, I can't believe that this is horrible, this is the worst. So what should and can ESPN do? I mean, if really, you don't really think they're going to continue to employ Rachel Nichols, do you, after this? Even if it meant, you know, Maria Taylor, ESPN coming to an agreement. What happened to Maria Taylor said, you know what, guys, I know that you guys want me to stay in. You know that you guys have big plans for me and all this kind of stuff. But what are we going to do about this uh, Rachel Nichols deal? Because I, I can't be working. I can't be working for a company that's going to keep her around after some of the things that she said about me. So, you know, I can't work in that environment. It's going to be too uncomfortable. You know, you're, you're not going to take me off of any NBA stuff. I mean, this is, I mean, we can't have it to where, you know, she's on one side of the building, I'm on the other side of the building, and we just never cross paths, or we never have to work with each other. We're always going to be connected as long as I'm here, as long as she's here. So I don't want to be connected with her. So either I go or she goes. Which one do you want? I think Rachel Nichols really is um, falling into the trap of, Look, Rachel Nichols is 47 years old. Maria Taylor's in her, her, her early 30s. It's a matter of uh, the sexism which goes with, you know what? We want the younger, more attractive, more vibrant female on the set. I think more, I, I don't think it had, if, if you wanted to point towards something in terms of Maria Taylor getting the job, not because of her skills, if, it's, if you're Rachel Nichols, I would be venting the fact that, yeah, Guess what? I'm 47 years old. You know, um, I'm I'm not in my early 30s. I'm not in my mid 20s. I don't look as good, even though I look great for my age. I don't look as good as someone in their early 30s or their late or mid 20s. Sorry, I don't. And I know in this industry, that's most of the folks who get these jobs, and most of these sideline reporters who get these jobs, for the most part. You know, they're all in their early. They're all in their 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 uh, younger age. Most of them have blonde hair, blue eyes, and white skin. So Rachel Nichols takes a look at what's happening with Maria Taylor in terms of, oh, you're taking away my pre- and post-game show, and you're relegating me to being a sideline reporter. Where do I go from there? I'm not getting any younger. Because I'm not getting any younger, I'm not looking any closer to being 25 or 30. I mean, I ain't going to be getting implants. I ain't going to be getting butt implants. I ain't going to be getting facelifts. I'm not going to be doing everything I need to do to try to look younger. So where are we going at here? In terms of what you're saying is once you've taken me off of this position that I have right now, that's that's it. I, at ESPN, I'm probably not going to be getting any other job. You take a look at the hosts of these shows right now. For the most part, all of them fit that criteria. Halfway decent looking and they're young. And with the thing with Maria Taylor, very attractive. Not going to say too much about Laura Rutledge. So if you're Rachel Nichols, that's where I would be paranoid with. In terms of I'm being phased out because of my age. And it happens. It, it, it absolutely happens. So if you're Rachel Nichols, what exactly do you do? Do you see the handwriting on the wall and you just say, you know what, fellas, time for us to maybe uh, part ways. Because if Maria Taylor leaves and Nate Rachel Nichols stays, I, I I don't know, I don't know how that would work. If I'm any of these guys, I don't I don't think as much. Maybe I have a really good relationship with Rachel Nichols. Maybe I maybe 
you know, like Kendrick Perkins, she's been great to me. She's, she's been wonderful for me and this, that, and the other. So if she said that she's sorry, I forgive her, this, that, and the other, moving on. If this leads to Maria Taylor going somewhere else, or even the perception that Maria Taylor going somewhere else is because of the fact that not only did they not admonish for real Rachel Nichols, but they also kept her on and gave her the jump or giving her a studio show to host. If I'm Richard Jefferson, if I'm Jay Williams, if I'm Jalen Rose, if I'm Kendrick Perkins, if I'm any of those guys, I want nothing to do with her. Nothing to do with her. I'm not as a guest, not as a co-host, nothing. And hopefully those guys have made enough money in the NFL or in the NBA to where I don't need this job. You know, I'm not begging for this job. Richard Jefferson has a job with the New York, um, with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Jay Will, um, you know, he could do some other things. You've always got Fox Sports who can always pick you up. You always got local stuff. You always got other stuff that you can do. I mean, you don't need to uh, say how high when ESPN tells you to jump if you want to keep your job. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know who would do it from the, my community. I don't know how big the backlash would be if Rachel Nichols stays on, Maria Taylor leaves, and then you have some black ex-jock on the uh, jump with her interacting like everything is cool and nothing's... Um, and nothing's happening in terms of anything hostile. I don't. I don't know how that would work. I don't. Well, they, they get along with Sage Steele, but so they they they, uh, they deal with Sage, Sage Steele and put up with her coonness. But uh, I don't know how that would work. I don't know how exactly that would work. Now even firing her after everything that went down. Firing isn't the word, but parting ways is. Uh, Something possibly that's the way to go. That's the way to go. The network has, because the network was feeling pressure about his crappy longtime record on diversity. It said that to Adam Mendelson, longtime advisor to LeBron James. Again, right there, that's a fireable offense right there if I'm ESPN. You could, you could fire her with cause because of that. Caught there right on the tape, word for word. So, we'll see. A little drama at ESPN. A lot of twists and turns and things to go. I tell you, for folks who are up there talking about they don't want to be part of the story and it's all about sports and everything like that, man. ESPN, every blue moon, every now and then on a consistent basis, they sure do have their share of drama. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Whoa, hold on. Good Lord. Thank you. Ooh. My lower back is flipping, killing me, and my ass is killing me, and my hamstrings are killing me, and my biceps are killing me, and my triceps are killing me, and everything is like really, really feeling uncomfortable right now because yesterday for the first time in like five or six months, I went to a body pump class, Les Mills Body Pump. And I did my squats, and I tried to do my lunges, and I did my bench presses, and I did my push-ups. Well, you know, what you would call push-ups. And I did all my exercises for the first time in a while. And before that, to lose all the weight that I gained throughout the pandemic, where I did nothing but sit on my ass and eat junk food and live a horrible lifestyle, is coming up uh, to my first 
day working out yesterday as far as weightlifting is concerned. The only thing I've done basically is just walking. I did a, I did one Stairmaster and a few treadmills, but uh, that is not going to get you ready for the hell that I went through yesterday in terms of uh, doing high reps, low weights, but uh, doing squats, doing lunges, doing bench presses, doing shoulder raises, doing... Uh, all that stuff, doing deadlifts, doing good mornings with the back, and uh, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, but you know what, my fat, pathetic, sloppy ass got into shape, so um, it's my fault that uh, as of right now, I am yearning, I am just, oh, I want a burger right now, I want a burger and a fry and a chocolate shake so bad that I could just fucking kill somebody, but uh, you know what? That's the type of diet, that's the type of lifestyle that got me to where I am right now. That got me to where I was about five, six weeks ago when I couldn't stand up for more than uh, five minutes without my lower back hurting and my knees were aching and the blood flow around my knees, my legs were starting to become numb if I stood up too long. So, you know, a lot of things won't get me to the gym on a consistent basis. A lot of things will not uh, have me dedicated to a much better lifestyle in terms of dieting and living and that type of things. Vanity won't do it. The fact that I'm not married won't do it. The fact that I'm not in a relationship won't do it. The fact that I don't have any children won't do it. None of those things, the fact that, you know, beautiful female, all of this nonsense, none of that stuff is motivation enough to get me out of the lazy uh, lifestyle that I was living, the lazy attitude that I have. But when you start doing the medical shit, when all of a sudden now it comes to damn, man, you know, I can't walk more than five minutes without my lower back hurting. I can't go into the grocery store and walk around without having to lean on the cart because of my lower back. The fact that when I put my pants on, I can barely move. I can't bend down and tie my shoes because my belly's in my way. All of those things are then enough for me to say I need to uh, do a lifestyle change. And so for the month of July, just like I did for June, for June, Worked on my diet, changed my lifestyle, dropped the soda, dropped the chips, dropped the burgers, dropped the fries, dropped the fast food. I haven't had any of that stuff since June 7th. And right now, I'm yearning for it. Right now, I want it very badly. I want to go to Red Robin right now and eat a, have a couple of orders of bottomless fries. I want to go somewhere where it's an all-you-can-eat place. I want to go to a buffet and chow down for breakfast. I want to have an omelet and mix it with my hash browns and my corned beef hash and then afterwards go ahead and get myself a couple of pancakes and some waffles. All of those things I want to do right now. But because of the lifestyle that I chose in doing those type of things, it put me in the position that I am. So you know what? Suffer, you fat son of a bitch. You earned and deserved all of it. So pain, not pain, it's not pain, but the discomfort, the soreness that I'm feeling right now, that's all, that's all on you. That's all on you. So that's part of the process. And just like Roger Federer said, enjoy the process. Enjoy the process of losing weight. Enjoy the process of becoming healthier. Enjoy the process of adding years to your life. Enjoy the process of saving your life. Enjoy the process that comes with ultimately getting to the place where you want to go. It ain't going to happen tomorrow. It ain't going to happen next week. It ain't going to happen by the end of July. It ain't going to happen by the time school run, runs around again in August. It ain't going to be anytime soon. But with consistency, don't think about the end of the journey. Think about the journey itself and the milestones and the goals 
that you reach on your journey to where you ultimately want to be in terms of the way that you're feeling and the amount of pounds that you want to lose and the, and the weight that you want to get to. Enjoy that journey. And then when you get to that destination, keep going. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shikari Richardson, suspended for positive for testing positive for marijuana. Shikari Richardson is a sprinter. I think that uh, she goes to school at Louisiana State University. Um, she is a sprinter in, I believe, 100 yards. She was uh, suspended for 30 days. This is what the U.S. Dope, Anti-Doping Agency, USADA, announced last Friday that sprinter Shikari Richardson will be unable to compete in the 100-meter race at the Olympics, after testing positive for marijuana and accepting a one-month suspension, Richardson was marked to be one of the biggest stars for the Americas, these Olympics in Tokyo, and athletes that uh, are looking to uh, build their brand, make a name for themselves. You know, we always have, especially when you're speaking about track and field, along with swimming, along with gymnastics, these individual sports that you don't see on a semi-normal basis. It's not like tennis. It's not like boxing. It's not like MMA when you're speaking about some of these sports with individuals. Um, so the Olympics are really the place to shine if you're a sprinter, if you're in the track and field, if you're swimming, if you're gymnastics and such. Well, Richardson was supposed to be one of the faces that was supposed to shine the brightest, as we know, when you're speaking about track and field, one of the more attractive and most talked about uh, events in the track and field uh, events are the 100 meters and being the fastest man in the world, being the fastest woman in the world holds a lot of cachet in terms of your earning power and your earning potential. Shikari Richardson was going to be one of those who could have uh, taken advantage of the opportunity. But again, because of the test of her testing positive for marijuana, those things are not going to happen. She's the second fastest woman in the 100 meters this year. 10.72 seconds. So it's something like that I run and was aiming to become the first American woman to win a gold medal in the event since Dale, Gail Devers in 1999. Now Richardson, who again is 21 years old, won the 100 meters at the U S track and field trials two weeks ago, but her positive test invalidates her results. So unofficially she's the fastest woman in the world. Officially she's the, she ran the second fastest time, uh, this year. Um, you know, And it was announced also that uh, while the 30-day suspension disqualified her from competing in the 100 meters, there was an opportunity that the suspension ended. She could join the 4x100 relay team. But uh, that's not happening either. (laughs) That's just the the folks were like, nah, it's okay. You you go home and you you, uh, think about what you did and this, that, and the other. So the remaining relay spots went to English Gardner and Aaliyah Hobbs. So those are the deals. So a statement from Yasada or the uh, folks were, uh, you know, she wasn't going to be on the team. So with our while our heartfelt understanding lies with Shikari, we must also maintain fairness for all of the athletes who attempt to realize their dreams by securing a place on the U.S. Olympic track and field team. Uh, so that's it. That's all. At least... Richardson, I mean, she went on the Today Show, owned up to what she did, accepted the consequences for her actions, didn't make any excuses. She said, you know, I want to take responsibility for my actions. I'm not looking for an excuse. I would 
like to say to my fans and my family and my sponsorships to the haters too, I apologize. As much as I am disappointed, I know that when I step on that track, I don't represent myself. I represent the community that has shown me great support, great love. And uh, so, yeah. So, you know, there was no, well, I didn't know. Well, uh, it's a trainer's fault. Well, it was just a cream. Well, uh, I had no idea. You know, the only thing that came close to her making a an excuse was the fact that she smoked marijuana after it was revealed to her or that it was uh, that's after she found out that her biological mother had passed away and the way that she coped was to uh, smoke weed. She knew in doing so what the consequences would be, but she did what she had to do. All right. I'm not mad at her. I'm not disappointed in her. I mean, you do what you got to do. It's her decision. I mean, that's that's her deal right there. You know, I've got my own problems to deal with. I got my own life to lead. So, I mean, you know, disappointed for her sponsors, disappointed in uh, folks who took the time and effort and everything to uh, get her in a position to where she could get an opportunity, but her herself decided to forfeit that opportunity. Yeah, those people should be uh, disappointed or whatever emotion that they might have. But for me, if doing what you needed to do, um, I guess smoking marijuana to cope with your mom's passing, I mean, you know, I hope that got you through it. But uh, you won't be going to the Olympics because of that. Now, of course, with this comes the folks who are yelling and screaming, this is racist, this is, that, that, not too many. But, you know, you have some folks out there talking about the race or racism play a role in this decision. In fact, I was reading a column written by Mike Freeman that was titled, Shikari Richardson's Positive Marijuana Test, One Example of How Anti-Blackness Trumps Triumphs in Sports. Gave examples of evidence of racism, ignorance, rule violations, and comments uh, in terms of what happened. He was talking about um, some journalist from Australia who was on Twitter talking about because Richardson had strong nails and hair that she used steroids. That was her evidence of why um, she can say that she was using steroids because she had strong nails and hair. I have no idea what that means. And she wasn't ruled ineligible because of steroids, it was because she was uh, popped for having marijuana, for smoking marijuana. So, you know, this person in Australia who's this columnist or this writer or whoever she is, you know, if you ever want a job in America based on um, this tweet right here, Fox News would have you in a second. You know, with Laura Ingram or anybody else wants to leave and move on and they need someone else to spread bullshit and nonsense and stupidity, hey, this woman in Australia, you should send in your resume. Just based on this tweet alone, I mean, you'd fit right in with with Tucker Carlson and that group. So he also, Freeman talked about the banning of swimming cap designed for uh, African-American swimmers. Now, that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, that that's that's kind of bullshit that's right, here, there, right there. But I'm not knowledgeable enough to really say one way or the other in terms of it was designed strictly for black folks. Seems that way, but I'm not knowledgeable enough to go ahead and say without question that, yes, this was something where the folks were sitting there talking about, we need to uh, give black folks a disadvantage, so let's kind of go ahead and uh, do this. Or they were too ignorant, or they were too privileged, or they just don't care. Uh, not not uh, not conversed in swimming caps to uh, to go there and start throwing out, you know, uh, accusations of racism or something like that. I'll let other folks do that. But in terms of the question, he answered the question that, 
all of us had, that I have, in terms of if you want to go ahead and start talking about Shikari Richardson was banned by the Olympics because of the color of her skin, and they found a way to do it by saying that she tested positive for marijuana, which is a banned substance. So because of that, she can't compete in the Olympics. So because of that, that's another way for the white man to keep the white woman down or for USADA or for the Olympics or whatever. Basically, when you're speaking about racism here, especially if you're speaking about racists here, that's what I equate. That's my definition of racism to where someone is saying, look, we are going to do what we need to do based on the color of their skin because we don't want these black folks, we don't want these Negroes, we don't want these coons, we don't want these niggers, whatever words come out of racist's mouth, we don't want them in the Olympics. So we need to do whatever we can to try to minimize the amount of niggers going into the Olympics. That's my definition of what a race, what, what would this be considered a racist move? or reeks of racism to go along those lines. Shikari Richardson failed a drug test. Shikari Richardson failed a drug test knowing the drug that she was smoking was illegal. She knew that if she smoked marijuana, that this would be a situation where she would be popped if they took a urine test or they took a drug test. She knew that if she smoked marijuana, that it would be illegal. Because having marijuana in your system is illegal. And she knows that. Her family knows that. Her friends know that. Her advisors know that. So she willingly smoked marijuana knowing that if she had to piss in a cup or however they do the drug test and it came back positive for marijuana, there would be repercussions. There would be consequences for her actions. She smoked marijuana knowing that it was a banned substance. She took a drug test. The drug test came back positive for marijuana. Marijuana is part of the ban list, which says that if you're caught with these drugs in your system during this drug test, you are subject to suspension or a 30-day suspension or whatever. She knew that. She knew that. She admitted to smoking marijuana, which is a banned substance in the Olympics. There's nothing racist about it. There's no racism involved in that. Now, if you're going to try to point to me about maybe there were some other instances where white folks were smoking marijuana, they got popped for it, and um, and uh, the Olympics were like, that's cool, come on in, you, that, that, that's fine. Now, if you could show me some evidence of that, okay. Now we're starting to maybe get into the racism uh, uh, storyline. Now, I'll buy what you're selling. Now, I'll listen to that. Now, I might agree with that. But so far, there hasn't been any instances of white folks getting away with smoking marijuana and still being able to participate in the Olympics after failing a drug test because they smoked marijuana. Again, now maybe if you could find me another group of white folks or white folks who tested positive for a banned substance and they were allowed to um, go ahead and participate in the Olympics, okay. Now I might be a little bit more open in terms of, let me hear a little bit more on why you think this is a racist issue when you're dealing with Shikari Richardson being suspended from the Olympics because she tested positive for marijuana. Okay, I'll listen. I'll go ahead and listen. But so far, there hasn't been anything. There hasn't been any evidence. And the folks who are yelling and screaming that this is racist probably would have brought up examples of what I just brought up in terms of why this would be racist. White folks getting away with being popped for drugs or banned substances and they get a chance to go to the Olympics while Shikari Richardson being popped and banned for smoking marijuana gets a 30-day suspension.
So far, there hasn't been any evidence of that. So I don't, I don't see, I'm not getting, I'm not understanding, I'm not following how this is racist. There's a lot of things about the Olympics that you could be considered, considered racist. This ain't one of them. So to answer that question, answer that interesting question, Freeman said, he wrote, Marijuana in the United States have definite racist origins and those policies spread globally and include the Olympics. And he wrote something and he, he put something in his column about what MSNBC Hayes Browns wrote. He, he wrote, those policies were purposeful, designed to marginalize first Hispanic and, the, and then African Americans throughout the 20th century. And the racism inherited in the United States drug laws has helped shape a world where international drug policy focused on um, uh, a prohibition of is the ultimate goal, often resulting in the excessive use of incarceration as a drug-controlled measure. Okay, well, what are we talking about here? Where are we going with this here? Okay, we, if you want to have an argument whether marijuana should be legal or illegal, okay, that's one thing. There's many people out there who feel that this is bullshit in terms of why is marijuana based, why is marijuana on the banned substance list? I don't get that. I don't understand that. Okay, we can have that argument. If you want to say that marijuana, having it be a banned drug is bad, it's ridiculous, it's outdated and all those type of things, fine. I can agree with you on that one. I can listen to you on that one. But you can't equate your displeasure about a banned substance because you feel that it shouldn't be a banned substance and then equate that to racism because it's a banned substance that Shikari Richardson, who happens to be black, knew was a banned substance, but she went ahead and smoked marijuana anyway. You can't get away with, well, you know, I'm going to smoke this anyway, but, you know, and I should be allowed to go into the Olympics because, well, marijuana, even though it's banned by the Olympic Committee, it's, it's bullshit, it's nonsense, it's not a bad drug and everything, it should be allowed to uh, happen. So I'm going to smoke it anyway, and that's going to be my defense on why I should be able to participate in the Olympics, even though marijuana is on the banned substance list. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, I don't give a fuck. Doesn't work that way. The ALC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she wrote on Twitter, the criminalization and banning of cannabis is an instrument of racist and colonial policy. The IOC should reconsider its suspension of Ms. Richardson and any athletes penalized for cannabis use. Too late! Too late! <laughs> Again, the criminalization and banning of cannabis is an instrument of racist and colonial policy. Okay. Okay. You want to have that discussion? Have the discussion. But guess what? Black folks ain't a monolith. Plenty of black folks out there. I mean, I know the old, well, you know, they're, this is racist because black folks smoke weed. Not all black folks smoke weed. There's a lot of black folks who are participating in the Olympics from this country that pass a drug, excuse me, that pass a drug test. They didn't get caught for marijuana. They didn't get caught for weed. So this insinuation, which is ignorant and racist to begin with from black folks who are sitting there talking about, well, it's a banned substance because it's racist because black folks smoke weed. No! No, 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 not, not all black folks smoke weed. I don't smoke weed, at least not right now. Now, maybe later on in life when I'm barely hanging on and instead of taking um, 
uh, painkillers or any type of other type of medication. I'll go ahead and smoke some weed. Fine. But as of right now, I don't smoke weed. Don't blame anybody who does. Not judging anybody who does. Not saying I'm better than anybody who does. Not saying I'm more black than anybody who does. I just don't smoke it. As of right now, I just don't. That's not my deal. So for this nonsense, and there's plenty of other black folks who just don't smoke weed right now. Who haven't smoked weed at all. So this bullshit, this nonsense that black folks and other folks are trying to throw out about, well, uh, you know, since black folks smoke weed, the fact that weed is a banned substance for the Olympics must mean that the Olympics are being racist toward black people. No, no, stop with the stupidity. Stop with the bullshit. Stop with the nonsense. Stop with the ignorance. Stop. Stop. The woman knew what she was doing. She broke the rule, period. End of story. Has nothing to do with her being black. Has nothing to do with her smoking marijuana. Marijuana was a banned substance. She smoked the substance. She's done, period. No racism. None. Zero. Zip. Concerning this matter. Now, if there's other things that you want to talk about concerning, you know, uh, oppression or discrimination or anything about the Olympics toward black folks, we can have that discussion. Not on this one. Not on this one. Not when it comes to uh, this situation with Shikari Richardson. She broke a rule. Rules has consequences. Sorry. Again, for all these folks who are yelling and screaming it's racism because marijuana is used by black... Guess what? Guess who else uses marijuana? Guess who else smokes weed? White folks. Asian folks. Hispanic folks. Every nationality in the world, I bet you, has one person who smokes weed. Not one racial group in this world, on this planet, can say, I've never smoked weed, and I will never smoke weed, and my children will never smoke weed, and their children's children will never smoke weed. You can't point to any nationality on this earth that can say that. Now, do black folks smoke more weed than white folks by percentage, or Asians, or Hispanics, or Arabs? I don't know. I don't know. I don't smoke weed. It's not For me, it's not important enough for me to find out. You smoke weed, you smoke weed. If you don't smoke weed, you don't smoke weed. I know black folks smoke weed. Gotcha. Understand it. The world that we live in, the shit that we go through just by being black, okay, we're more susceptible. We're more drawn to smoking to smoking weed. Gotcha. Understood. But damn, really? We're going to use marijuana, smoking marijuana, then as racist toward black athletes who are trying to get into the Olympics? Damn. What, 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 um... What uh, what test did the other black folks take? What what test did the other athletes of color take to where they could get into the Olympics, right? Because according to Mike Freeman and the others in AOC, right? I mean, black folks be smoking smoking the ganja, smoking the weed, smoking the herb, smoking the roach, smoking the right. I mean, I mean what, what if that's the case? How the hell do they get into the Olympics? Oh man, we live in a world where racism is real. It's really real. But uh, come on, man, let's not bullshit when it comes to this kind of nonsense, when it comes to racism, man. Let's kind of like target what's racism, what's really racism, racism, and what's not. Shikari Richardson, God bless her. I hope in four years she runs again. I hope in four years that she can uh, go ahead and do what she needs to do. Four years is a long time. Who knows what's going to be happening? She missed out on an excellent opportunity financially and everything else for her. But that's on her. That's her deal. That's her deal. That's her family's deal. That's her sponsorship deal. That's everything. That's that's, that's her. 
that's her gig. You know what I'm saying? Four years from now, who knows, man? You might not be living. She might not be living. I might not be living. There might not be an Olympics. Who fucking knows? There might be another virus. Might be another pandemic. Might be another outbreak. Who knows? Right? So you can't count on four years. I'll be back. Fuck it. I'll be 25. I'll be good. I'll be this, that, and the other. Who knows? You might get pregnant and have a baby. Things might change. Who knows? Missed opportunity is a missed opportunity, but that's on her. That's on her. She's going to have to live with that. Hope she can. God bless her. But that's her deal. But to sit there and all of a sudden make her a victim because of her actions and say that, well, it's because of some racist policy or it's because of racism, black folks, black community and others, stop, please, with that bullshit, please stop. What you gonna do, cuz? Guess we're rolling in with them baby blue chucks. And I still got my khakis creased. I'm still looking on these beats and keep a bad bitch on the street. It's the S-N-O-O-T and biggest dog of them all. And you been fleeing. And since I got time to drop it for you, I guess I must. And give it to you motherfuckers like Buster Bus. I keep the heat on deck, but in God we trust. And can't none of y'all fuck with us. But you can run up on the G, but that's not thinking wisely. These bullets are contagious, just like Ron Isley. What the hell is going on? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. That's me. Last uh, segment of the program. I want to save the high school basketball talk for just my next podcast, which is going to be coming up in a few days, because I also want to be getting into the UFC 264, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor talk. Want to get into that. Game two of the NBA Finals is going to be tomorrow. So I'm going to be getting into that. So I'm going to save the talk about the uh, summer basketball. There's some things going on with high school basketball that I want to be discussing. And it directly correlates into the surge of really good international prospects that are being groomed, that are being groaned groaned nice one that is being grown over in um, the other countries and how this country who are the king who's the king of basketball has to uh fight back on those type of things so those are that's the genesis of my discussion concerning high school basketball so fuck you stop with oh man it's gonna be some really good shit because uh like I mentioned before, man, being a fan of Georgetown basketball, I followed high school basketball and recruiting. I followed that uh, I followed that every day, if you really think about it, because I'm following Georgetown basketball every day. So there's certain blogs, there's certain sites I go to, there's certain Twitter accounts that I go to for uh, information, for news, for scuttlebutt in terms of who's Georgetown recruiting, who's uh, the best players, who's going where, and who's being interested, and who, and all those type of things. So, yeah, that's my deal with that. And that's, I mentioned before, for about 15 years, I've been going to these uh, AAU tournaments out here and taking a look at prospects that Georgetown's interested in and just taking a look at really good prospects for uh, for college and for the pros and all those type of things. So it's something that I enjoy doing. So there you go. So I'll be speaking about that on my next podcast. But again, I want to end this podcast right here by speaking about the college football playoff 
well, how long do we have before? We have less than, what, 75 days, 80 days, something like that, before the start of college football? Probably even sooner than that. Got to speak to my man Eric G about exactly when college football starts and what's happening during the spring season, during the summer season. Unless something super unbelievable happens, I really don't pay too much attention to both college football or college basketball. I know the spring season's going on, and I know that uh, certain basketball teams take their once-in-four-year trips overseas to do some things to scrimmage and give them a look at the team that's going to be putting forth to the fans once the basketball season, once the college basketball season starts. But for the most part, I kind of leave college football alone. But uh, got some news here recently about college football playoffs are going to be considering expanding to a 12-team format. An expanded bracket won't hit until the 2023 season at the earliest. One of the reasons why is because of the fact that with the BCS right now, not the BCS, but with the 14 playoff right now, that their contract is extended until 2025. So there has to be some negotiating. There has to be some uh, monies being passed and some financials being worked over and looked over and agreed to before it can come down to a 12-team playoff. Uh, the proposal does not include guarantees for conference champions. It calls for the bracket to include the six highest ranked conference champions plus the six highest ranked other teams as determined by the CFP selection committee. Tyrone Willingham, former Stanford and Notre Dame and Washington coach, has has been reported that he's going to be back on the selection committees. But uh, there'll be no limit to the number of participants from a conference and no league would qualify automatically. Interesting. Very interesting. This proposal was written by a subcommittee comprised of Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bolsby, SEC Commissioner Greg Skanky, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick, and Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson. So it's a matter of we get the SEC, we get the Big 12 in there, which probably is going to represent the five major conferences. You've got Notre Dame, which is going to be an old their own entity to themselves and then Craig Thompson is going to be fighting for the little guys the sub-majors the mid-majors the Cincinnati's the Houston's the Boise States of the world who are not in the power five conferences the fact that they're going to have to have a seat at the table the coastal Carolinas the BYU's the those type of squads so look the, the major reason the major factor on why expansion is heavily being considered is the fact that look man People are getting tired, and when I say people, people from other conferences, mainly the Pac-12, mainly the Big 12, and mainly the ACC, if it wasn't for Clemson, they're getting tired of the fact there's about three or four teams each and every year that are vying for the uh, championship, that they're vying for the national championship. The Pac-12 is sitting there saying, damn, what was the last time that we had anybody represent uh, our conference in the semifinals? What, Washington way back when? Maybe one of those deals, but for the most part, it's been Clemson, it's been Ohio State, it's been Alabama. A few years, it's been North Carolina, it's been Notre Dame. You take a look at the 2020 season, the semifinalists were Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame with Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Indiana, Iowa State. On the outside looking in, the year before that, the 2019 season, the semifinals were Clemson, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Those on the outside looking in were Georgia, Oregon, and Baylor. The 2018 season, Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. Outside looking in was Florida, was Florida, LSU, and Ohio State. 
So we're sitting here, we're taking a look at the same old teams from the same old conferences being either in the semifinals to get that money, to get that check, to get that coin, to get that uh, reputation, to get that exposure, and you have teams on the outside looking in from the same damn conferences year after year after year. And when you're speaking about the college football, and they were always talking about, well, you know, it would be terrible, it would be horrible if we had, you know, more of the BCS or we had, you know, something resembling a playoff because it would take away from the regular season. That was just so ignorant. That was just so ridiculous. And it just shows you the stupidity of the country that I live in, that people who are college football fans actually believe that bullshit. Now, some were on the belief of that bullshit because it benefited them. You know, if you're an elite team, yeah, not having a 12-team playoff sounds good because it gives your team, it gives Clemson, it gives Alabama, it gives Oregon, excuse me, it gives Oklahoma, it gives Ohio State, it gives all these elite college football teams year after year after years the best opportunity to win a college football championship because you don't have to play three or four extra games. You can go ahead and only play one or two extra games to win a championship. So, yeah. Of course, the fans at Alabama with Rick's, Nick Saban having it roll, LSU when they were great on a more consistent basis, Ohio State, Clemson, and such. Especially Clemson, yeah, not having a playoff sounded great because all we need to do is win the ACC, which is extremely easy to do, and we'll get ourselves into that championship game. Sounds good to me. So now all of a sudden, yeah, having more teams compete for a championship sounds better to the Florida, sounds better to the LSUs, but also... It sounds better to teams from the Pac-12. It sounds better for a team from the ACC. It sounds better for those guys. Because all of a sudden now, those guys might have a chance. On any given college football Saturday, you never know. In terms of when the playoffs, if there's going to be a 12-team playoffs where you're going to have teams playing multiple games. Now, I'm quite sure the committee with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and the Oklahomas and such, they'll be given first-round buys, so their path toward a championship will be made easier. But isn't that what the regular season is for? To find out exactly who the best teams are or who the teams that deserve a first round bye? I've, I've never been I've never been a fan of committees or computers or anything like that trying to de- trying to determine who the best college football team is. It's ridiculous, it's idiotic, it's nonsensical. This this football playoff committee is fucking garbage. If you want to find out who the best team in college football is, you don't ask Tom Osborne, you don't ask Tyrone Willingham, you don't ask uh, Barry Switzer, you don't ask any of those folks who are sitting there taking notes, who were sitting there taking notes and trying to find out who the best team were, best college football teams were. You want to find out who the best college football teams are, come down here to Vegas, go into the racing sports books and ask those guys. Those guys will be able to tell you. Ask the guys who set the lines. Ask the guys who set the over and unders. Those are the guys who have more knowledge, more information about who the best teams in college football are than any of the folks that the NCAA are bringing out to you saying, yeah, leave it up, leave it in the hands of these guys. Leave it in the hands of a playoff committee. By the way, when they're discussing these things, we don't know exactly what's going on. How do you determine who the four or five best college football teams are? Is it based on record? Is it based on talent? Is it based on schedule? Is it based on average margin of victory? It might be all of that thrown into the stew. Which one takes more precedent? If you're trying to figure out a number one and a number two or three seed between Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, how the hell are you going to figure that out? 
Are you just going to go on talent alone? Are you going to go on competition? Are you going to go on record? Are you going to go on point differential? Are you going to take a look at the film and try to figure out exactly who the best team is on film? What are we doing here? What are we looking at here? How are we determining this? So I always thought this was nonsense. I always thought this was bullshit. And when Lee, and when Lee Corso would come in and sit there and talk about, well, of all the teams that I've seen, um, this team looked like the best team over that team. So this is the reason why I feel that it's proper, that it's kosher, that this team should be in the playoffs, or this team should be playing for a championship, and this team should be out. Well, goddamn, Lee. If you're that fucking smart in terms of which team you think is better and which team you feel is the best teams in college football, how did your coaching career go? How many games did you win? You must have gone undefeated. And if they're so smart, what the hell are you doing on ESPN College day, Game Day? Shit, you should be putting all your money down in, in Vegas and betting on these football teams. If you know everything, if you're so smart, if you're so slick, if you're so knowledgeable, if you're so sure of yourself that you can say this team is better than that team because I took a look at that. So because of that, that team deserved to be in the championship game and that other team doesn't. Well, shit, you need to run a 1-800 betting service, Lee. And charge folks nine ninety five per pick. You can make a boatload of money because according to you, you're always right. Based on that nonsense, based on that bullshit. So I've 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 always felt that hey man, you know it's it's something where it's like let's kind of open this up for everybody else because I'm sorry it gets kind of boring and it gets kind of tired where every single year you're dealing with the same teams and I'm glad that. Alabama is a cut above everybody else. They deserved it. I mean, they just had the greatest recruiting class since they started grading recruiting classes. Good for them. Awesome for them. But damn, even with that, you never know one day, one weekend, you never know what can happen. And it adds to the intrigue. It adds to the interest. And it invites everybody else from the country and not just the folks in the Southeastern Conference, not just teams from uh, a couple of states here and there, not from one region of the country. It involves everybody. And guess what? It might op also open up a little bit of recruiting because guess what? Because of only two teams or four teams being able to win championships, you might be able to get that four-star recruit instead of sitting behind the folks at Alabama for two or three years before you finally get a chance. You can come here and be a starter and we can kind of get you to a point where you can be competing for a championship because we can get you in a college football playoffs with the recruit that we're going to surround you with. Oh, and by the way, if I also mentioned that there's also opportunities in this town, in this college town or whatever, for you to capitalize on your name, image, and likeness. So instead of waiting for your turn to uh, cash in on everything that it is to be playing at Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or Oklahoma or LSU or Georgia or Notre Dame or Michigan, you can go to a Northwestern. You can go to a Michigan State. You can go to... Of Tennessee. You can go to a North Carolina. You can go to an Oklahoma State. You can go to a UCLA. You can go to a Washington State. You can go to one of these teams. You can go to a Mississippi. And you can still be able to make a boatload of money, make it a lot sooner, and also get yourself in a position to play sooner. If your ambition is to go to the NFL, why are you going to wait two years behind? Guys at Alabama who are five-star recruits, you know, by the, by the way, they're also recruiting under you to bring in more five-star recruits. So it's going to be always a situation where, you know what, you don't know if you're going to be able to play or not. Why don't you come here and we'll set you up and we'll get you rip-roaring, ready to go. That's all part of this deal in terms of not just image, name, and, like, and likeness. 
you then attach it to a 12-team playoffs, that opens up some more avenues for other teams to get better and close the gap, the wide gap, that is the elite of the elite, the Mount Rushmore currently of college football, which is, again, teams like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and such. So good for college football getting this thing and welcome college football to the 21st century. You'll really like it. It'll even be better than when Duck Dodgers gets to the 24th and a half century. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm finished. I'm good. Good talk. Good chat. Hope everybody stays well. Hope everybody continues to grow. I hope everybody who's listening to this program gets something out of it. Fuck it. Something. So be good. Be great. Be wonderful. Thanks for listening. M-U-S-I-C. Music funkiness. That's what it's all about.